Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your word, your living word that breathes life into us. Thank you for your spirit. Lord, I pray right now that as we look at your word, that you will open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us. Lord, I pray that you will take my words and fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. Please let them be your words and not our word, my words, for I want you to speak today to us, even to me. Lord, and I pray that if there's anything between any of us and you, Lord, that you will remove it so that we can be completely open to hear from you today, we pray. We love you. We want your will in our lives. Amen. All right. So today, as most of you have um, heard, is my last Sunday here with you. And so I would have been trying to get through some of the main Bible stories that we learned as students or kids in our kids programs. And for some of you, maybe you didn't grow up in church. This is the first time you're hearing these stories. And that is exciting to me. Someone told me that last week and they were saying, I didn't grow up with these and I'm loving this series. I'm going to tell you that this series is going to continue on. After I leave, uh, I've already had a conversation with both Josh and Steve Reese, and next week you get to learn about Jonah, and it's an awesome story. So continue to come and to listen, um, but today we're going to look at Daniel, one of the most popular Bible stories that most of us know from growing up, and even if you didn't go to church, you have probably heard of Daniel and the lion's den. Um, and so we are going to be looking at that story today. Uh, this is a um, this is a moment in Daniel's life that I'm sure he will never ever forget, and um, we're going to hopefully not forget it either. All right, but I want to give you some history of where we find Daniel at the place where we begin to read today. All right. So Daniel is from the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel. All right. So remember last week we talked about how after Solomon, uh, his sons messed things up and the kingdom split in half. The tribes of Judah and Benjamin went south or they were in the south. They became their own little kingdom. They, and then the tribes to the north, which there's 10 of them, they became known as the northern kingdom. So Daniel comes from the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. All right. Now, what we have found or what we find in history is that the kingdoms of Israel last quite a while before they're eventually taken over by other larger empires. All right. And they they fall at separate times. They don't fall to the same empire. The northern kingdom falls to the to the kingdom of Assyria. It's the first one to fall. And it's because the kingdoms or the kings of the northern tribes are evil from the beginning to the end of them. They are all evil. They None of them repent and turn back to God. And so God is patient with them for several centuries, but eventually he allows the Assyrians to come in and take over. Note that because next week you're going to hear about the Assyrians when, we learn, when you learn about Jonah, all right? So that falls. God protects Judah or Judea because uh, they are not... They have turned back to God at times, and God protects them for longer. They don't fall to the Assyrians like uh, the northern tribes do. All right. However, they continue to live in sin off and on. And another large empire who took out the Assyrians, known as the Babylonian Empire, comes back down through the area. And at the time of the Babylonians, 
the southern kingdom was not in right standing with God, and God allowed them to fall. If you ever read the book of Jeremiah, he is called the weeping prophet because he is the prophet who foretold the fall of Jerusalem, and then God had him write down the witnessing of it. Uh, he, he, he's called the weeping prophet because no one listened to him as he foretold of the fall of the, of the kingdom and how they needed to turn away, and they don't. And the Babylonians come in, they destroy everything. Uh, basically, the plan is, is you, you take the best of the nation with you and you leave the rubble and all of the, the dollar tools in the shed. We'll say that. You leave kind of the dumb people behind because they're not a value to you. So what happens is all of the royal families get exported out to Babylon they go into what is called the exile. That's a very important concept um, for the people of Israel because this becomes the pivotal moment for them from, from this point forward. Okay, So all the royal families, all of the very smart people, all of uh, all the scientists, all these different people, they're all taken out of Israel and put, brought up to Babylon. Okay, Daniel is one of these people. He is the son of a royal family, of, of one of the royal like noble families, and he is brought out. At the beginning of the book of Daniel, Daniel is a young man, probably around our teenagers' years. He's a, he's a young guy. And what the kingdom of Babylon does is they basically brainwash you to become like them. They are an, assimil an assimilation machine. Um, for any of you science fiction people out there, they are like the Borg. They bring you in and you become part of them. Okay, And so all of these young Jewish men are brought into what is basically the Babylonian school of thought and they are trained to think like a Babylonian, to rule like a Babylonian, and eventually they will become leadership within the country of Babylon. Right Now, the way that they do this is they bring them in and they, they feed them luxurious food, stuff from the king's table. And so automatically people start thinking, man, this life is better than what we had. We get in like the king's food. And then they start educating them in, in all of the deities of, of Babylon and all of these things. And slowly over time, these young Jewish men begin to think and feel and do things like a Babylonian. They all have new names. Um, Daniel's Babylonian name is Balthazar. Um, there are three other Jewish men. Um, I don't remember their names exactly in Jewish, but uh, their, their Babylonian names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those three guys in Daniel are best friends. They all feel like God is telling them that they should not give in to what the Babylonians are doing. And so they refuse to do the same things that they're being told to do. They will not eat the food that they're being given. And Daniel um, is given favor by God in, uh, to the person who's in charge of him. And Daniel says, we would like to instead just have water and vegetables to eat and drink. We don't want the other food. 
and the the his superior or his supervisor is basically like no way because you will not be able to keep up with everyone else you will become weak you will become uh, anemic you will become like not smart and you're going to fall behind and i being the person in charge of you will be the one who is punished and he said and daniel says no no if you do this i promise you and promise you that we will be different it won't be that way so he goes out on a limb and says okay so for 21 days they go without any meat they go they eat only the vegetables that they're given and they drink water they won't touch the stuff that comes from the king's table here's the reason daniel won't do that because the king's food is the food that was sacrificed to their gods beforehand so they were sacrificed to idols in, or to pagan deities, and then they're brought to the king, and the king, being the, the one closest to the deities, he gets to eat all of that. So all of these Jewish men who are being trained by them are now also partaking of food that have been sacrificed to foreign gods, which is a gigantic no-no in the Jewish culture. And Daniel understands that, and he says, no, we won't do it. God blesses them. By the end of the time that they're given to, to test run this, Daniel and his three friends are smarter, faster, stronger. They are like just pumped. God has totally blessed them, and they have jumped to the top of the class. All right? It's important to know that that's where, where Daniel comes from. Because where we jump into the story in Daniel today is after Daniel has grown out of that, he has now become really one of the top people, right? There's other stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I really went back and forth about whether or not I should do that story today or this story that we're going to look at in the lion's den, and I settled on the lion's den. But please read Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The point and the message of that story is the exact same as Daniel and the lion's den. All right? So check that one out. All right? So let's start. We're going to read the whole chapter of chapter six here. So starting in verse one, it says, it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom while three administer, while three administrators with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to the, to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel, was, uh, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the, the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, and satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. 
Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows, with the windows, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who, who pray to any God or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who, one, um, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your king, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to, da to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your king, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion's den? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. May God send his an uh, my God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted out, uh, from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted God in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den among, along with their wives and children. Before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and the peoples of every, in, of every language in all, the world, in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of the kingdom, people must fear and reverence, fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the powers of the lions, from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of, Cyper, uh, of Cyrus, the Persian. The word of the Lord. All right. That story sounds pretty familiar to us, right? We've heard that story often, or we used to know it really well. Daniel was very prosperous. Daniel had become one of the top four people in the entire kingdom. Now, it's important to understand that 
Babylon wasn't like the kingdom, like the like a small kingdom. Babylon was the second ever empire in the world. It spanned a massive, massive um, swath of land, like basically the entirety of the Middle East and into parts of Europe. It was huge. All right. Daniel is one of four who are in charge. Okay, so there's the king, and then he has three administrators who then govern over 120 satraps. Basically, satraps are regional leaders. They're the people who run different parts of the kingdom. All right, and they they answer to one of the uh, the administrators. So there's. Three administrators, 120. This is a word problem for you that have not been in school for a while. That is 40 satraps per administrator. Right? Daniel is doing an amazing job. So much that Darius is noting and ready to put him in charge of everything. Sounds a lot like another guy we know in the Bible, right? Joseph. It's about to become Darius and then Daniel and then everyone else below him. Word of this gets out to the other leaders, to the other administrators and the other satraps, and they are not okay with this. One, he is not a Babylonian. He is an exile. He is a foreigner. He is one of those, one of those Hebrews from, Ju- from Judah. He's not one of us. Why is he getting so much praise? Why is he being put over us? So they plan to find something that they can bring him up on charges so he'll lose his job. And they watch him. They have stakeouts, I'm sure of it. And they just, they make sure that, you know, he's going to mess up at some point, but he never does. They, They can find nothing that he does wrong. So they come together and they have a conference of minds and they decide the only way we can catch him is if we can make it something that he's not willing to do against his God. So we have to find him something that he's not willing to break the law of his God over. So they come up with this plan and they got a good idea. They go to the king, the whole horde of them. They're all there. And they're like, oh, your majesty, how great and wonderful you are. You deserve all the praise and and glory. You're the only one that anyone should worship. How about we do this? For the next 30 days, why don't you make a decree that if anybody worships any other god or any other human being, because that happened, for the next 30 days that is not you, then they get thrown into the lion's den. King Darius is wooed by their, their flattery and says, this is a great idea. And he puts it down and he puts it into writing because that was, that was the custom that made it binding according to the Medes and the Persians. So he did, wrote it out so that no one can change it, even him. Word gets spread throughout the land that this is the new rule. And Daniel's response was to go home, to go to his upper room where the windows faced his home, Jerusalem, the place where his God's house is. And he went on his knees and he prayed. And he prayed for three, three times a day. But what's interesting in the story, or what we need to note, is that 
it it specifically says that this is what he has always done. He always goes to his upper room. He always goes to that window. He always kneels down. He always prays three times a day to God. Okay? The fact that all of a sudden there's this new law that's been put in place where he could get in trouble if he did it didn't drive him to go and to pray going, oh Lord, what are we going to do? I need your help. Help me now that I am in trouble. This was already his habit. And the guys knew that. They knew that this is what he was going to do. And he did it. And they went to the king and they said, remember when you made that law? Well, you know, Daniel's breaking it. And the king is upset. It says that he is distressed because Daniel is his guy. He, is, he loves Daniel. And he can't imagine that Daniel is going to have to now die over this. And I guarantee you, it has clicked in his mind that this was the point of the decree in the beginning. They didn't really think that the king needed to be worshipped. They just wanted to get Daniel. He spent the entire day working and trying to figure out how he could change the decree in order to save Daniel's life. And the leaders come to him and said, remember, you wrote it down in the laws of the, according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, it cannot be changed. So they went and they got Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king yells out to Daniel, Daniel, I pray that your God who you serve continuously will rescue you. And then they put a rock in front of the the hole. And he seals it with his ring, meaning that it cannot be broken. The the, The rock cannot be moved. And then he goes home. And the king is continually being distraught. He can't eat. He can't do anything else. He can't sleep. He is so worried for his friend Daniel, for, his, for this man that he respects and honors. The sun comes up and Darius is at the, the tomb, uh, the, not the tomb, the, the lion's den, at the beginning of the day, yelling for Daniel, 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 has your Lord saved you? And Daniel responds, yes, he has. He sent an angel who closed the mouths of the lions, and I was rescued because he found me innocent, for I have done nothing against you. Darius is ecstatic. They pull Daniel out of the lion's den and quickly round up the leadership and their families and they throw them in instead. It's a lot of people, right? Two other um, administrators and 120 satraps, plus their families, get thrown in the lion's den. And the Bible says that they don't even make it to the bottom before they're all devoured and killed. That's crazy. So I know that lion's dens are not like a common thing where we're from, right? We don't use them in our punishment, in our judicial system anymore. Um, We don't really know much about them, right? 
We just know that it's probably a den that has lions in it. Right? They were very common in that day. They were basically a death sentence. Uh, they, you were, they would keep these lions trapped in this den so that they wouldn't get out. So that at any point they needed to punish somebody or kill them, they could throw them in there. These lions were not well fed. And that was purposeful. Because they wanted those lions to be ravenous whenever they needed them to kill someone. They didn't want the lions to be well satisfied and then they threw someone in there and that person just sort of hung out for a while with the lions because the lions were napping and lazy because they were full. They wanted it that if you got thrown in the lion's den, they wanted those lions to do what they did to the leadership and their family, to kill those people right away. So Darius is totally justified in his concern for Daniel. Because he knows that his lions are hungry and that Daniel is not going to probably last the night. So his plead was not just to Daniel that his God will save him, but I believe it was a plea to God to save Daniel. And we don't know whether or not Darius said any prayers during the evening to save Daniel, but I want to believe that he did. Okay. So Daniel's been caught in this conspiracy to capture him and to get him removed. He remains faithful to God despite the fact that he's being sent, sentenced to death. He's unwilling to change. He's unwilling to, to, to change his pattern of behavior of worshiping God three times a day, even though he knows it is dangerous for him now. But he knows that his God is greater than anything. He knows his history. He knows who his God is. He is, a, he is a noble Jew who knows the power of his God. He knows the story of the Exodus. He knows the story of the Red Sea. He knows the power of, that was shown in Jericho. He knows how God provides over and over and over again. He knows that God is there when you need him. And prior to this, he witnessed his three closest friends being thrown into a giant furnace. This is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thrown into a giant furnace that was meant to burn them alive. It was so hot that the guards who threw them in died because of the heat. He watched and witnessed his three friends get thrown in, and not die. And actually, there was another person in there with them who kept them safe. He knows that his God shows up if he stays faithful. And so, I want to believe that Daniel went into the lion's den 
with not a whole lot of fear. Even when the rock got put over the hole and darkness probably fell in that den, he didn't fear but trusted that God would be there, that God would be in the den with him. And he tells Darius that God sent an angel and he closed the mouths of the lions. And if you've ever seen pictures of Daniel in the lion's den, um, like in any of the old children's stories, that's a really common picture of it. Is Daniel in the in this like cave with these lions lying around, and then there's this angel with his big gorgeous white wings in there with him. I don't know if that's what Daniel Daniel experienced, because did you know that in the in the Old Testament, uh, most commentators believe that whenever um, an angel was present that it was really actually Jesus there. But the people didn't know anything about Jesus. They didn't know who he was. For them, he was just an angel of the Lord. I believe that while Daniel is sitting in the midst of this, this lion's den, whatever it looked like, that Jesus himself appeared in the midst of the den with him that he silenced the, the lions, that he, he kept them quiet. I believe Daniel got to spend an entire night with Jesus in the lion's den. That is pretty cool. He might not have known the significance of it at the time, but now that he's in heaven, he probably does. It's interesting that at this point forward, Daniel starts to have a lot of prophecy about the future come out of him. I'm not saying that it's connected necessarily that way, but maybe it is. Maybe him and Jesus had a good old long conversation and Daniel tried to write it down the best he could. Who knows? I'm speculating. I don't know. So what comes out of this? What happens because Daniel endured this lion's den? Is, it, is the great thing that all of a sudden Daniel is now sort of the only one left to lead the country with the king? No. The, the king, once he rescues Daniel, sends out another decree to the entire world to every country and in every language, he sends out that decree that says that everyone will fear and have reverence for the God of Daniel. Because he alone is the living God. He is the living God who rescues, who saves, who takes care of, who delivers. You would think Darius was a Christian from that kind of language, right? That's the language we use in church, that our God is there and he is present and he delivers us and he saves us. He, he provides for us. Daniel endured a, what could be terrifying experience in order for the king to fully ex experience the greatness of Daniel's God. That 
Daniel's God was greater than all of the gods that King Darius was used to to praying to. I wonder how many of his gods he prayed to that night while he waited. But they didn't send an angel. Daniel's God did. He makes it law in the Babylonian Empire that the God of the Jews was to be worshipped throughout the land. This isn't something that even the kings of Judah of Judah had, were willing to get a hold of at the time. It took them being exiled and for Daniel being thrown into a lion's den for the king of the known world at the time to make it a law that his kingdom would worship the God of the Israelites. That is so cool. So what do we get out of this? What are we supposed to get from this? I don't know how many of you have experienced the lion's den recently, at least literally. Many of us think we experience lion's den all the time, right? I guarantee that what we are experiencing falls like pales in comparison to what a lion's den would have been. So what do we get out of this? What are we, what are we supposed to hear? We're supposed to hear that no matter what you're facing, Jesus is in the midst with you. He's in the den with you. You're not alone. You don't face the pain. You don't face the hardship by yourself. He's with you. You might not see him the way Daniel maybe did, but he's there, just like he's in this room. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He speaks to you. He guides you. He directs you. He comforts you. In those times when it feels like the darkness is overwhelming you, and I, I know that right now, within the world around us, it feels like the darkness is overwhelming us. It's so saddening to see the pain and the hurt in the world around us. To see the oppression in Afghanistan, to, to see the natural disasters that are, are, are making people have to leave or are destroying homes. and It's so hard sometimes to know that in the midst of all that, God is still there. He's still in control. He's still using us. But He is. Jesus is there with us. And if we stay with Him, if we remain faithful with Him, He can use what we are enduring to tell the world around us that our God is the living God. Our God is the God who provides. Our God is the God who rescues and redeems. Our God is the God about bringing about true and eternal change in a world around us. 
that this world is not destined to be overrun by the darkness, but that we know that at the end of all things, the God that we worship is the one who wins. We know that He is victorious, that He brings all creation to anew again, just as He is doing in each of our own hearts. So take joy, take courage in knowing that no matter what you're facing, no matter what situation you're enduring, Jesus is with you. He's silencing the lions. He is redeeming you, and He's restoring you, and He is rescuing you. All for His glory. Will you pray with me? Lord, we love You. You are... You are so great. And... We thank you for your faithfulness that you you are with us, Lord. And, and I pray that you'll be our comfort and our peace. You'll restore us. You'll rescue us. Lord, I ask that you will help us to really understand what things are the lions and the lion's den and what things are just uncomfortable for us. And help us to focus on the things that are important. We want to be faithful to you in all things. We trust you and we love you. You are everything. We want your will. Help us to be in the midst of your will. In your name we pray. Amen.